0: This episode is brought to you in partnership with Neonic Training Solutions. Neonic run a student-led physiotherapy clinic based in Shipley, Bradford. Neonic provide placements for a range of healthcare students, offering supported direct patient contact, coupled with additional learning opportunities. This creates a unique placement package that can give your confidence and professional development a huge boost. If you're in the Shipley, Bradford area and would like to get some help with an injury or a long-term condition, then Neonic may have the solution. Everyone can get a free first appointment advice, and then any subsequent five appointments would only cost a total of £20. Neonic offer extremely affordable physiotherapy service, and if you're worried about seeing a student, check out their five-star Google rating. The students have time dedicated to concentrate on you and are supervised by expert physiotherapy practitioners that have a wealth of experience from a broad range of backgrounds. If you'd like to find out more about their services, whether that's from either a student or a patient perspective, you can find more at neonic.co.uk and we'll leave a link in the show notes.
1: Welcome to episode 22 of the podcast. This week we are delighted to be joined by Chris Jenkins. Chris has an extensive working background in elite sport, especially rugby, and has recently moved into higher education setting, working for the University of South Wales as a lecturer. So, Chris, could you tell us a little bit more about the career pathway you've had up until this point?
2: hey guys morning uh thanks for having me on and happy new year 2023 um yeah um i've had a good uh varied career i've had a i could say i've worked in almost every sector now because i started working in the education lecturing sector last september full-time so i've worked nhs i've worked in private practice i've worked um Initially in, uh, went in Newport. I went to Cardiff University, uh, qualified in 2000, and then did my rotations there. Um, and while doing my rotations and and going down that MSK route, I was getting experience with local rugby teams, Cardiff Mets rugby team, um, with uh, my local local taekwondo club and Welsh taekwondo. Uh, I also um, managed to sneak very early on my career um a couple of games in the champions league with barry town uh, when they won the welsh league which was which was good fun and uh threw me in the deep end um you know see no evil hear no evil uh you know full of uh bravado and, and a lack of knowledge in uh, 2001 going into that but uh, a great experience and nothing went seriously wrong which was good and then uh moved to Gloucester Royal Hospital, did some work with Bristol Aztecs, rugby, um, also went back and forth and did a bit of Glamorgan cricket and then from the NHS then did a bit of private practice At the same time moved over to uh London to do my masters in sports physio in King's College, London two thousand eight, and then there from from there it's history. I've been in um yeah, two thousand seven-eight, the Masters in Kings. And then uh, from there, 2008 till till 2022, I've uh, been pretty much, apart from a short break at one point, for about nine months, I've been in full-time rugby uh, ever since. Uh, um, and that includes um, London Welsh in the English Championship and Premiership, uh, Dragons in, in what's now called the URC, it was the Pro 14 at the time, um, Canada Rugby, um, and then Russia Rugby and I managed to fit in um, the London 2012 Olympic Games as a volunteer and this year is, uh, with the Birmingham Commonwealth Games as a, a volunteer as well during that time and a uh, last little stint of rugby was in March with USA Women so I'm currently in private practice and joined the lecturing world so I think I've, I've worked in most sectors now education since September 2022 um, in the university of south wales uh, teaching on the bsc honors in, in sports therapy and exercise hey <laughs> <Sorry.
3: laughs> uh, chris can we start back um whenever you you first joined the nhs and we've spoken on the podcast before about how the expectation now isn't necessarily that a student will graduate and then go off and do rotations having that went down the route that you have and and started with rotations. What do you think some of the advantages were for you personally, and how do you think students can still benefit from from doing rotations today?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and and a lot has changed in the world, in the world of physiotherapy, and there are alternate and different routes now. Um, but I think the key thing I I look at the structure of someone's training progressions and how anyone uh, learns in, in this world and for say uh, sports medicine doctors for say SEMs um, they would be expected to learn the basics of acute medicine because that's important and they'll learn that uh, on the NHS rotations and then they'll be expected to specialise or have some experience in A&E orthopaedics musculoskeletal okay again and they'll develop that experience in the NHS while maybe doing some external stuff, and it's and it's, a, it's a guided route which includes NHS time because uh, similar for as a physiotherapist as well, graduating you need to have a chance to practice and learn all the skills that you've you've accumulated over the years uh, with some degree of senior support and mentoring, and I think there is uh it's that's not as well established in 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 private practice maybe of some of the bigger companies and, and 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 in sport where it's all systems go um i think it's not done as well as it is potentially in the nhs that that let that that wide range and experience um i would call it the the bread and butter of your musculoskeletal and orthopaedic care. If, if that's the route that you want to go down, um, you get to see a mm. wide range of different things from paediatrics to adults, to older adult injuries and, and, uh, and elderly rehabilitation. You, and you get to see the whole spectrum, um, uh, in an environment where you are supported by more senior staff with a little bit of more routine CPD, um, and and I I know it might have cha- it's cha- it's changed a lot now. I haven't worked in the NHS since two thousand five, two thousand seven. Uh yeah. Yeah, two thousand and six I left. So I did six, seven years, but I, I look back on that um very favourably and, and, and with with good memories. Um I had some excellent um mentors and I worked in excellent department in the Royal Gwent in South Wales where you know we were doing a lot of rehab we were doing a lot of rehab with ACLs and various complex knee injuries and and shoulder injuries and back then we were allowed you know ample amount of time you know uh running kind of knee rehab classes twice a week um uh to, to be able to to learn uh, you know, have more specialist knee physiotherapists as well that were in the department so uh, that and and then also learning on the wards understanding you know how to use something like a a stethoscope something that i still you know use to this day you know occasionally it's something that um a skill that you sometimes have to use um if if the doctor's not on site and they ask you know you know sound like they've got a crackly chest an athlete with potential chest infection stuff like that uh you know obviously we won't make medical diagnosis like that but it just helps with the the doctor if he wants you to do some online examinations and assessments for him before you send him to the to the gp's clinics so there were skills there and skills especially with stroke and neuro movement skills movement rehabilitation looking at normal movement uh which were were really useful there as well um and just you know learning to work with people learn to work with lots of different people nurses doctors um i i found going on to the to the wards with the, the orthopedic doctors and neurologists very useful um you know discussing blood tests and scans and looking at scans with them and their management of various things um so i think there's there's a lot of benefits to be had um, um and uh, I think, um, yeah, I, you know, I, that's my experience. Um, and there might be others that might might counter that argument. Um, but, you know, it was a very positive learning experience for me. And I can't imagine, you know, just going straight out into this world of professional sport now, unless, unless um, you know, it's going to be in a very, very well, you know, mentored environment so that would have to be you know with significant staff numbers so that they you know that that pressure isn't on you straight away to be making good clinical decisions on your own so i think um you know you can you could do that learn from you know sink or swim type scenario but i do think there's lots of benefits to be had, as i've just described
3: so would that be your advice to A student who's maybe potentially looking to go into a graduate job in sport that where they're going sort of make sure that they're going into an environment that's either well mentored or there's a there's a progressional pathway that's been put in place that allows them to progress from being a graduate to a more senior physio in in so many years.
2: Yeah, I, I think so, because I remember when I took my first full time professional sport role uh i was eight years qualified and i was the only physio uh so i think and i i'd had a master's degree and i had loads and loads of years practice in amateur sports and musculoskeletal nhs experience so i was able to go into that if unless you're in a big environment where they're willing, like the English Institute of Sport, Welsh Institute of Sport, um, or in a big club where they have lots of staff and a, and a progression pathway where they are willing to take on a graduate who's the, the right person, but they understand may be underskilled and under-experienced. Um, I think to apply for that role where you're working solo, um, which may happen in the championship, clubs and league one league two because there's lots of jobs like that that come about where you get you you know just looking for one physiotherapist looking after a league two club or something like that um you know it from i got friends that have gone into that environment and it's it's full on um it's very full on and there's big expectations um so i think I, i i we all benefit from mentors whether that be you know, uh, informal or, or formal type arrangements. Um, even to this day, I, I, I've got several mentors that they're, they're not paid mentors, um, but they, uh, are people that I reach out to for clinical complex clinical issues or more enough, you know, more, um, you know, business related issues. So I think that's, that's important that you, they, you investigate that structure and expectations and training pathway when you're taking on a job like this as a new gr- graduate immediately after qualification
1: so chris you've worked in rugby at all levels quite literally from you know the amateur to the national stage and and for someone who is looking to eventually get into sport is it's, uh, very inspiring to see that um so i wondered would you be able to give a little bit of advice obviously if the students and things listen to this episode um, what are your best tips for starting off in that sporting setting as an amateur, at an amateur level, which is where most people are going to start off at, what your best tips would be for, for starting there?
2: Okay. Um, so, first of all, I think it's really important that you choose a sport that you love. Okay. But you've got to try and make sure you separate yourself from, you know, being a fan and and working in that sport but it's better to choose a sport that you love and like because you know to start off with you may be working very unsociable hours you know a lot of um beginning roles uh you know maybe age grade um youth those early academy roles those kids are still in school so that means they're going to be training maybe i don't know anywhere between five six seven eight nine o'clock at night um so you need to be prepared to work on social hours and uh, make crisis, uh, make sacrifices in that respect um uh, and it doesn't feel like a sacrifice if you love that sport that you're involved in okay and um you, you know you, you you really enjoy being there so that's that's a key thing first i uh, as much as i would love to have worked in football and the salaries that sometimes some of the salaries that fly around in football, I I don't have enough. Unfortunately, I don't have enough love for football. I love watching Wales in the in the World Cup and so on, but um, you know week to week, uh, I don't know enough about football and what's going on in the world of football. I don't follow it enough to be able to work in it. Um, whereas rugby is 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 a you know big passion of mine. So that's the first thing. Um, getting ready for it i think as a student you could um get ahead of yourself you know um i know you guys don't have much free time but i think if you want to get into it and while you've still got access to university libraries and journals you don't realize what you've got until it's gone okay and start making a little bit of a supply of the most current up-to-date um, sports meds and sports physio review articles, review journals on, on major areas and, uh, you know, be at the latest reviews on syndesmosis injuries, shoulder stabilization injuries. Use that access because as soon as you get qualified and then you haven't got access, you're suddenly looking around for free access papers and oh, I can't access this, can't access that, uh, which, which universities have access to. Um, I would try and get... For whichever sport you're thinking you'd like to be involved with look at what pitch side medical courses credentials that they require different for football different for rugby and i would try and get onto something like that um and if not then you you, you there's plenty of courses out there um which you can do to get you know basic pitch side first aid sports first aid care you know and you, you need to lease how to manage head and neck injuries and and serious uh issues like sudden cardiac arrest um so uh knowing that cpr and and, and emergency action plans um because that's the most serious things you're gonna have to deal with um on the pitch and you want to get those right um strapping taping courses are important so and i teach some of those now Uh, i started working sports tape last year so um reach out to them um uh and i would also say that um you need to make sure that um you network and try and develop a network of people that you can reach out to uh in that sport okay and that can be done by you know joining associations like the uh, association of Child physios and sports medicine um where, where i met you guys you know you were there um and you made a lot of contacts that day and and, and you're good at that and, and and you know that's that's really important because then you know you can call someone up and say oh, look you know chris um I've uh, got this interview, what your thoughts, you know, I've got this job, what are your thoughts, you know, and, and you guys can do that now because you know me. Um, if I just uh, offered that support to you, but, you know, I would because I'm a nice guy. Um, so I think networking is key um, and building that in advance. Um, I think that they, they're the key things.
1: So, <clears throat> yeah, so. Great tip. So you mentioned um, particularly knowing the sport that you know you're looking to go into, and, and having that love for that sport. Um, from from experience of, of my time, like I've had, you know, work experience in football and things, you, you quickly learn to understand things as simple as just understanding when a, a player is truly hurt when they go down, and that maybe can look a little bit foolish if you weren't, you know, knowledgeable about the sport. If you did run on, say, when The player isn't really hurt and they're just perhaps buying time or whatever sort of game they're trying to play um on that sort of topic of potential mistakes that you could fall into early on in 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 your you know uh, working life in in sport um do you think there's any common mistakes that you see people making in rugby obviously with you progressing up the ladder and having a wider view of the the sport in general you know are there any particular mistakes that people could look out for to try and avoid, and if so what what advice would you give to perhaps prevent or, or rectify those?
2: Yeah, so I think this is where it's useful to speak to people who have worked in that sport and really understand the game in your role. I think um it sometimes you see um physios unnecessarily running on or running on at the wrong times there's a classic video <laughs> of a few years back you can find it where i think it's the zebra physio gets completely wiped out while running onto the field not you know it's like running onto the road not looking left not looking right you know straight in bump and bump and wiped out completely um uh, unfortunately but i think yeah you need to un- you need to be aware of what's going on and, and be a little bit um uh street smart in that respect you know with regards to you know if there's something serious that's happened you know rather than just running straight down there and getting your hands on them so you know i'm running and i'm shouting you know i'm running and i'm shouting i'm going that way i'm shouting ref 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 or you know i'm making that kind of so everyone can start to linesman and stuff like that can start to um and i think it's just having that that knowledge and that awareness of, of that side of things um one of the biggest things I think is, is, is diagnosis is king, and everything comes back to that. Uh, and that's why I um, talked about um, getting your bread and butter, your experience and learning in, in the NHS sort of environments where you can see a wide range of things, from paediatric to you know young adult adults and older people, um, because um, that's the basis for all future management. And if that's wrong from the beginning, then, you know, you can go down a long, blinded route, um, which can be frustrating for yourself and, and, and for the athlete and for the coaches. And I think um, it's it's those scenarios, I think, where, um, you know, that's one area where, where conflict can arise, especially when the diagnosis means, you know, you're trying to give some sort of prognosis to the coach um and and that prognosis is a bar that keeps changing and keeps going further and further and further back you know people then lose faith and trust in you in that respect um so you need to know your current abilities and limitations and 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 focus your early cpd around nailing that aspect um uh, as opposed to focusing on you know funky treatments and you know the, the latest fad treatments and interventions um and sexy exercises we, we need to make sure we know what we're dealing with um and there's plenty of ways you know you can learn and, and reflect about that you know some stuff on social media is good on twitter and so on and uh following some of these people that that, that work in sports and the type of injuries they come across. Um, uh and that's why it's, it's good to have access to all those like say up-to-date sports medicine journals articles reviews in university you know looking at the major uh current uh concept reviews um around ankle knee hip shoulder you know the latest what's the best form of diagnosis what's the best type of imaging um you know what's the most you know reliable or unreliable tests as well you know what's what's rubbish what doesn't work what does work um so i think that's that's the the biggest thing and and, and read widely as well not just journals and watch videos um there's lots of good books out there uh a good one is by bill ribbons knife knife in the fast lane um and and that's about a surgeon's experience of working in sport for like maybe 30 40 years and all the issues he's seen and and uh, treatment fads and diagnoses and issues that he's seen within football uh, rugby uh, track and field so you can learn from other people's experiences um from you know history as well and make sure you don't make the same mistakes that people made in the past around certain uh, management of certain conditions um but yeah that's that's my best best advice
3: in terms of then making that next step you've obviously you've worked at a really high level as well how does someone go about making that next step from amateur level to whether that's semi-pro and then on to elite or Potentially just straight into a league sport.
2: I think, um, you know, if you've been chucking up the hours in amateur sport and you feel confident enough to, to, to go to that next level, um, and your CPD, you know, you've created a C- CPD program that's developed you over that period of time. So, not just the experience, but it may be courses or reflections uh mentoring learning um you know following like a structure cpt path the only one i can think of is obviously the association chart physios and sports medicine structured cpt path and you've been networking and you feel ready then i mean obviously the, the first thing to look at is to to look widely and and, and apply potentially okay um uh th- there will be numerous jobs coming out at at all levels and i think it's rather than just applying to the advert say through uk sport the website i think it's really important to see if you can try and reach out you know i've heard of, of people that have written uh, and typed uh, not sort of typed but printed out you know 100 you know 100 letters and sent it out or emails and sent it out and reached out to the people at each club i think there are ways that you can go that little bit further, trying to contact, trying to reach out to people alongside the traditional um, application lines. Uh, And I think that shows some level of um, eagerness and and willing to be involved and just to go that next, take that extra step towards um, making making, uh, progression within your field. Um, I would... um, I would consider um, if 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 the opportunity arises. There weren't so many back in my day, but there are more internship opportunities. Um, I would consider that. I'd look at it. You have to you have to look at the pros and cons. You've got to look at the financial situation that you might be in and uh, the expectations, you know, around that internship. Is it paid? Is it unpaid? Um, you know that that can be a good opportunity and i know people that have done internships that have gone on to to very good things um because they they've worked hard they've learned they've got the experience and all of a sudden a year down the line they've got a year's experience in elite sport which which um, you can't really buy um so that that's an option um doing a little bit more structured cpd be that a postgraduate certificate in sports physiotherapy sports medicine strength and conditioning or a master's i think that are desirable things these days Uh, In in, in some some clubs around the, the uk and around the world you know they're talking about having phds now that's the next big thing but i would say that if you look on most um job descriptions, the sports medicine, MSC, sports physiotherapy is is desirable. Um, It's not always essential, not for the early posts, not for the um, but, you know, essential, desirable. um, I feel like it is almost becoming essential. Uh, There'll be people that haven't got those things and have done well, um, but I think if you want to try and separate yourself from the crowd, then that that could be key as well but you know you got to make sure that if you get into a masters you're doing it for the right reasons as well and I wanted to research certain things and learn certain things so it isn't just about doing it as a as a paper-based exercise to have it on your CV I think that's the wrong reason to do a master's uh, you need to be motivated to do it and, and to progress um, <coughs> alongside the, the, the potential career benefits um, so and yeah as i said before you try and reach out to people um uh a networking contact with with within the sports that you want to be involved in
3: can i just ask a quick a quick question before connor jumps back in what what are your thoughts on unpaid internships particularly for people who are qualified at a relatively high level you know we, we were asked this question um Probably around this time last year on the on the Thrive podcast and and they had fairly good thoughts in terms of when is it appropriate for a qualified clinician to actually be unpaid for work and I know that um athletes authority in, in Australia they do unpaid um internships and it's almost like you're you're selling expertise and, and a bit like what you just mentioned a minute ago that almost priceless to have the experience. But from a moral point of view, is it right that you've got someone who might be bachelor level qualified, or in some instances actually might be master's level qualified and elite clubs or environments feel that they can get your services for nothing financially in return?
2: Yeah, that's why I call it working in unprofessional sports. It's, work, it's working in professional sport because they're paid. But, um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, the power of some of these clubs, you think some of the biggest clubs and biggest authorities around the world, they, they can call the shots. And I don't think it's right. And I think the ones that have good moral and ethical um, kind of uh, good uh, – I don't know team ethics, team spirit. Um, you know, we'll 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 pay these internships. You know, just like you might get uh, a paid internship in the city as a banker or something like that. And you know, a lot of the internships in exactly. the city, I don't think they're not. they're paid internships yeah. by big big rich companies. So therefore, big big rich. Uh, professional sports companies can also afford to pay you know 15 20k what is 20k to to man united or man city or chelsea you know it's you know and you're getting you're getting uh someone who's going to be i'd like to think highly motivated you're going to be highly motivated to go into that environment you're going to see this as your shot at the big time you know potentially okay but you know regardless whether it leads to that or not um you know god um i think i'd be excited now you know like i say i'm not a big football man but if you know so i think that that you can't put that level of stress on individuals by unpaying them i, I don't think it's right i don't think it's right you know um um but you know um the people that make these decisions, it's uh, it's tough, and yeah, they they can they can wield that, you know. But you're going to have, um, you know, Chelsea on your CV for life. Then a year at Chelsea Football Club on your CV for life, and they can they they can wield this thing around. Um, I'd like to think um, it doesn't happen, um, but uh, I've, I've heard it can, um, and especially in sports that haven't got as much money. I mean. For rugby, for example, you know, uh, you know, you've got to understand that that might be more of the norm, okay, compared to football. Um, rugby with clubs like Worcester and Wasps going under and so on, and uh, you know, financial difficulties. Um, you've got to be realistic, depending on the the sport that you're looking at going into. Uh, and I think you get an idea of that from the salaries that may be offered in those sports and the um, um, you know the size of these medical departments the amount of equipment they've got the number of staff they've got um, you know that can all lead to a better understanding of whether this internship is likely to be paid or unpaid um, and, and understanding why it is unpaid in that respect so I think it, it all depends on the, the size of the business and um, that side of things but yeah I think ideally um, you know, if it was me looking after you guys, I, I'd be, I'd, I, yeah, everyone's different, but I, I'd feel wrong if, um, you know, you had to go and then work a, a bar job, um, you know, the rest of the time or do extra work because we're not not paying you, you know, a basic wage, you know, to, to, to live in wage to, uh, you know, to get by during this internship experience. But that's, that's just me personally. I'd like to think a lot of people would be similar across these clubs.
1: Yeah. And then I, I just wanted to round off the last point about you know, making the next step and things like that. And, and just wanted to echo really what was said about, um, you know, it's kind of, it's there if you look for it. So we, we mentioned about Twitter and, and LinkedIn and, um, UK sport and for football I know the FA website has got um, a list of jobs and things if you if you're kind of on it with um, keeping active about what's going on in the profession and jobs that are coming up and opportunities and being proactive contacts wise you know that step into into sport is is there if you, if you kind of look for it and and uh, I'd say particularly from my experience don't give up with the application process as well if you find that you know you're going to X amount of interviews and you're still not getting it, just keep going because eventually you will break through and the right one will come up for you. Um, so I just wanted to kind of say that. And and another thing with, with football, we, as we've mentioned, and the amount of money in it, I think um, it was especially an eye-opener for me with with recently having completed my ITMIF um, down at St George's Park, the amount of uh, amount of physios there that were actually part-time, uh, and clubs have got enough money to pay uh, part-time staff to go in, and do these courses, um, you know, don't feel like you have to reach into your own pocket to, to get these, to, to get these courses to then be, you know, accepted into part-time roles, even at clubs. And, and that can really be the foot in the door that will help you to then to climb up that ladder. Once you, once you've got that qualification, you know, you've, you've got it for, I think ITMIF is three years. So, um, you know, it can really help you to make that step. Yeah. Um, So yeah, just, just wanted to add on there. So the next kind of question I wanted wanted to ask from, from our perspective. So, so Chris, from your experience is, and you've talked about sacrifices and things like that, and I'm sure we've heard this many times before from, from other physios that we've had on that work in sport. Do you think that, that maintaining a work life balance is possible, uh, when working in elite sport?
2: Yes, if you're single and selfish and don't want to have any friends or family or wife or anything like that, then or husband, whatever, then yes, absolutely, you can, you can just, uh, you know, I think um, people always talk about, you know, work-life balance, and 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 now, you know, if if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work, and it just becomes part of your life, and 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 that's a big thing as well. Um, I think that there is significant challenges and i think there's challenges i've experienced the chances as more later on in my career you know getting married single no issue whatsoever you know you've got no responsibilities nothing to tie you down and you travel wherever they travel and, and you follow that lifestyle um you know getting married change it a little bit um but uh i think the real challenge and most uh Guys and ladies, in my position at a certain age, if they're having families and start having kids, it then becomes quite complicated. Uh, It it gets a bit more challenging. Uh, And I recently had my second one. And um, uh, yeah, I I don't feel like it's, two young kids, it's possible at this moment in time. Um, You, it's not to say it's not possible, but I think there are few and far jobs between very you know where where um you could be the primary bread earner you know at the top of a uh, head physio in a big football club or something like that and you know your partner doesn't have to work and um you know she can stay home and look after the kids which often happens with a lot of professional athletes a lot you know there's just quite a few uh you know partners be that husbands or, or wives that, that don't work and look after the children because they're their partner is traveling around the world for sport and stuff like that um i think that um that's that's one of the, the biggest challenges you know financially is it is it possible and also you know if your partner has got is intelligent or has got massive career ambitions themselves you know um i know my wife had to put some of those things on hold to allow me to have my time um and now I'm allowing her to have her time, uh, when she goes back this year. So it's, it gets a bit more complex in that respect. I think, um, uh, you know, elite athletes, elite rugby players, physios, they, they you know, they're often, um, obsessed with it and often, you know, there's a lot of perfectionists and they, they dedicate their life to sport. Um, uh, but I think. You know, um, the, there's, the, there seems to be an age where I, I know a lot of peers, colleagues that have just stepped away and they all seem to have quite young children. Um, a lot of rugby friends that have, have left it or have gone into... Um, I, I felt going into international rugby was a was a nice little move because you have these like intense blocks of you know three four six weeks worth of work and then you're back home for a few months and so on um and that worked to a degree but then that can be a challenge as well so um i think d- depends on the sport i mean club rugby and club football you know uh if you if you're in charge of a team there and there's two games a week and you're traveling around europe and Looking at the hours that people put in, the phone calls, the emails—you know—I I can't see how they have work-life balance. I—I'm just, you know, and, and I think anyone's lying if they say they've got it, you know. Um, uh, it's, but it is—it's exciting, and um you know, I've—I've I've had an amazing time. Uh, I think. I've, I think it's about like 47 countries I've been to around the world, and I'd say majority of those are through sport. I'd say maybe 10 or 12 of those were through um, traveling as a as a younger man, um, 2001, 2002, um, but the rest of those have been through sport. So you know, I've had a good chance to see the world um, and have a very uh, exciting working day. But I think, um, yeah, I don't. I haven't found balance. Maybe it's just me.
3: Do you think some sports are harder than others in that respect?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, um, if you're going to ask me uh, this moment in time, uh, you know, if I, uh, um, you know, there are, and I, I thought, Rugby is quite hard. I've got a friend, Mark Bennett, who's uh, he's on Twitter. He's worth a follow. Uh, he's a S and C coach, and I work with him at Russia Rugby. Um, and he's now um, he's number fifth or number six in the world tennis player uh, Zverek. Uh, he's his S and C. Uh, and he, I think he's just done like, <sighs> hundred and. 200 odd days on the road last year and he's just got home today and he's celebrating Christmas with his family and New Year's Eve with his family today over the next course of this week Um, and um, yeah, you know, it pays very well Um, but but then I think, you know, there are other sports where you know, if you are Anthony Joshua's physio or if you are, you know, Tyson Furious physio, you know, there may be where, you know, they fight in once or twice a year. Um, obviously there are camps and stuff like that. you got, they got to prepare for as well. Um, but I think there are other sports that may be a little bit more, um, around the training aspects, track and field and the Olympic type sports saying that though, there's some real tough schedules with regards to, you know, competitions, you know, UK, European, it, it it does depend. So, um, I think again, understand the sport, understand the competition and and understand their expectations. I think, um, you know, I, I knew that what the expectations were getting into, to rugby, you know, there was 40 games a year, you'd be training, um, you know, four or five days, a week including match day there'd be two recovery days Wednesdays and Sundays or Thursdays and Sundays inevitably I'd be in rehabbing on the players day off so I wouldn't necessarily have that day's day off I might have a half day there and inevitably I might be in reviewing injured players on that day off for so some days it was seven days through uh, and I'd say football might be the same I think the bigger the staff uh, if you've got big staff base then they've got rotations and stuff like that staff rotors and stuff like that i, I never worked at a club where there was a staff rotor. i was the staff rotor, um and um uh, i often sacrifice myself and let some of the other staff uh, uh have a day off here or there because it's just the nature of who i was quite high energy and, and could go seven days a week um so yeah understand the sport that you're getting involved with and and find out. And again, there's lots of people can reach out to discuss that with and see what works for you.
3: And then just kind of moving on. Whenever we were sort of preparing for this podcast, we had a chat with you before Christmas, there were probably yeah, there were a few topics that we wanted to talk about, didn't quite know how to sort of fit them in, didn't sort of go in around the general theme of the episode, but we we had quite a nice chat around concussion, and I think it was the week before the documentary was on the BBC. Um, and yeah. obviously your Instagram is really good in terms of getting content out around concussion and the the types of conversations you're having with guys, and um, and you're sharing some of those conversations. Do you want to chat a little bit about sort of some of the things you've been talking about, looking into?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um concussion sport is a huge topic at the moment. We won't go into huge amounts of detail there, but I mean, if you want to, you know, it's, it's a big, important area for, you know, contact and collision sports. And, um, you know, there is uh, unfortunately, um, you know, if you're on social media, especially if you're on Twitter, you can read about controversy around concussion, concussion management and research on experts, you, you you can you can read a lot about it The stuff coming out you know every week so it's massive at the moment in in all areas and, and and obviously anything we can do to prevent and reduce concussion is is key and and um i think uh if you want to learn more than you know i think whichever sport you're involved with i'd say definitely football rugby you know there are concussion modules that you can take on the world rugby uh, website for free and, and learn about that um uh i think is what what was interesting uh and feel you know my key learnings uh are we've got to know our scope of practice as physiotherapists dealing with concussion a concussion is a diagnosis uh of a brain injury and we are really we we, we are there to diagnose in our scope of practice musculoskeletal issues as as physiotherapists we so need to be very careful with that um uh, and make sure that you know we're we're doing the right thing by our our athletes especially if if you are working in amateur setups and so on and or maybe there's no access to a doctor um, there and then uh, I think we need to uh, know as much as we can about concussion and and follow the the guidelines that that are out there and if in doubt, sit them out um and remove them from it because uh there's no um, there's no sport or there's no achievement uh which is more important than you know looking after uh an athlete's or a player's brain and long-term brain health so you know you, you need to make good decisions around that uh, but we talking about like skills from before it's amazing you know a lot of the concussion and concussion rehabilitation uh, within sport that's going on now a lot of therapists are having to retrain a lot of their neuro vestibular testing, okay, um, understanding uh, the retraining of those things which which people might learn a lot more about um within their neurology uh, placements and rotations as students and working with the NHS. Um so I think trying to understand that side of things because I think um oculomotor and, and vestibular rehabilitation are are one of the things that physiotherapists and sports are going back to learn about as part of the rehabilitation of of more uh, prolonged sports related concussion uh, presentations. Um, So I think that that's uh, a massive thing really. Um, And I definitely recommend, like you said, if you want to take a quick dive into concussion, there's there's uh there's uh especially in rugby there's 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 the steve thompson documentary i believe on bbc iplayer and then also on on rugby pass um on youtube there's a concussion documentary there as well if you want to take a deep deep dive into the the issues from a uh, a multi-person point of view from the athlete's point of view medics point of view referees point of view um but yeah i think that's uh I definitely feel if you go into contact collision sports, you, you need to to be fully uh, aware and um, clued up on, on that area. This morning time is very important.
3: I think as well, the Ben Robinson Twitter page is a very, well, I find it's a very good resource as a, a starting point. So it's pretty much um, an account run by a guy, Peter Robinson, whose son had died from... Um, Repeated concussions that that had went undiagnosed, and he'd kind of started the campaign for the the if and doubt set them out. Um, yeah, yeah. And and his Twitter page is brilliant in terms of just yes. finding articles that that guys are talking about or podcast episodes, YouTube clips. Um, I find that that's a that's a brilliant starting point, particularly for students or even for people who just aren't that well educated in understanding concussion and, and getting their head around you know whether that's signs and symptoms or um sort of return to train return to contact return to performance um i i, I think that's brilliant account for just developing your awareness of of what concussion is and, and the effects of it uh,
1: I yeah think, and uh, um... likewise i'd say go on, go on, Chris. Go on connor uh, um go on, i was just going to say um from uh the physios in. Uh, sport that um conference that we came to theo farley is in another great one to to uh, check out his twitter um i think phd researcher in in the area so really knowledgeable and um, posts some really great stuff about concussion and, and and the latest management and things side of side of concussion um so do check that out uh, another one that i've seen is uh, head case uh, concussion on English England rugby online is another good resource for, for learning a bit more about it and then obviously on the FA website you've you've got the multiple concussion mo- modules as well um, but I'll let you continue Chris
2: yeah no uh, a lot along that those lines I know that um, a lot of Physiotherapists within sport and elite sport that wanted to learn more about concussion, specifically physios looking at concussion rehabilitation. Um, uh, the lucky ones had the opportunity to 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 fly out to Canada and get some experience under Catherine Schneider. Catherine Schneider is a physiotherapist that specialises in uh, sports-related concussion over in Canada, um, and um, they also, I think, yearly run an, Online uh, concussion mass online course for free, okay, and that talks about some 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 detail the levels of of, uh, of concussion. So uh, checking her out on Twitter and maybe trying to find her work. I don't know if she runs online courses on concussion rehabilitation as well, but she's definitely done several uh, journals. I think um, um, I think they're in physical therapy and sport or. MACP uh journal uh two-parter on um concussion management and rehabilitation uh from a physiotherapy point of view so yeah that's that's definitely um something to check out as well Catherine Snyder, don't ask me to spell that
1: <laughs> and then uh just moving on to the final topic that we wanted to talk about in and cover in this podcast so um uh, recently there was a and sport a mentorship um episode um talking about mentoring and and mentees and, and that sort of thing um so i think it was recorded and and it's there to go and and get off clubhouse if you wanted to have a listen to that um really good to hear um Stephen and bex's thoughts on on mentorship but i wondered how how prevalent of a role is 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 of a mentee or a mentor has been through your career chris
2: yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's very important. Um, uh, I think especially in, if you're going down the sport route, because, um, I think if you're in well-established big, uh, teaching hospitals with this you know, a long history structured pathway of training and, and access to senior staff. Um, with protected, sometimes protected CPD time and so on. I think it's a little bit more, um, you know, regimented or expected that, you, you know, you, you you are trained and progressed. I think uh, sport can sometimes be a little bit of a more of a nomadic, wilder route for some people. It definitely was for me. So you do have to structure your own CPD pathway. Uh, and a big part of that for me was speaking to people that are, learn from people that are experienced in the sport. So, you know, I, I know that, um, in Cardiff and Wales, people like Andrew Siri who was the ex Wales, a physio. He, he helped me out a lot in the early years. Sean, not Nikki Phillips in Cardiff, um, uh, who were also involved in Association and child physios and sports medicine, um, would give me a lot of advice. And then when I moved to, um, London, um, uh, one of the ex-Harlequin's physios, Richard Bamford's. He was he was very good to me and, and, and helped me understand the bigger picture and issues of running um, and managing uh, the medical department of a rugby team. And and um, uh, Dr. Simon Kemp, um, who was one of the England doctors and, and still is involved with the RFU, uh, running the sports kind of medicine side of things. He was a good person to... To help, and uh, my first experience of dealing with a a complex concussion, he helped me out with um, sourcing, um, you know, uh, an excellent vestibular specialist rehabilitation physio um, to assist me in the management of that particular player, Um, and you know, all the people that you meet then, and the doctors that I've worked with, I've stayed in contact with them, and it's nice to have people that potentially also. You know, you you build a network that that work outside your current environment so that you've got people you can use as an external sounding board. Uh, So a lot of those are very informal. Um, Ben Ashworth, Athletic Shoulder, he's always someone that I met while I was at Blackheath Rugby Club. He was the lead there at the time back in 2007 and 2008. And I come and did some work for him while I was doing my Masters um, and living that way. Uh, over, over in that part of London, South East London. Um, so, uh, and then we've stayed in a touch ever since, you know, might catch up, you know, maybe it might be once a year or something like that, but we'll have a good conversation and chew the cud on, on the direction, especially around the collision shoulder, uh, contact shoulder injuries, which, you know, he's, he's got a big interest in and I have too. Um, so, the course is good, is it? You've been on that
3: course. Yeah, it's brilliant.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I done um, it. Oh,
2: no, go on. What you're gonna say?
3: No, go on, go on, carry on. Oh no, I I was just gonna say I had done it um in November t- or October, November time. Um yeah. and like I wouldn't have been particularly confident on on shoulders and I know obviously a lot of the work that he does is, is American based sports um but his his knowledge and the way that he simplifies really complex concepts is, yeah, um, I I just thought was was unbelievable. And also the his receptiveness to other people's ideas. So he's obviously got this huge wealth of knowledge and experience from what one his own research and then to his own experience. But what I find on the course the amount of um, clips and pieces of nuggets he was taking from the people who were on the course and, and videoing ideas that they had and thinking oh you know I like that I'm going to use that or you know you've manipulated what I've done and that's actually better than the way that I've done it is it, it, his openness to take on other people's ideas um were unbelievable like I can see how you can get a hundred of them so well and, and so easily in that in that way
2: yeah no, he's a real good guy and and I think yeah you know you you can't like say he he's worked in you know various sports but you can't work in all sports all the time so you have specific cases and specific sports uh and 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 specific challenges and 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 you've got to figure out solutions for that so you know and and people have taken his work and like you say uh adapted it modified it um to, to create local solutions for the problems they have performance problems they're having um and i think then you know uh, he's very interested in that and and and, and, and yes yeah, so he's still very curious about his area um so yeah definitely definitely recommend going on his course i mean he's bringing out some online uh, courses so there we go shows sure i'm a good guy i'm uh, I'm, uh Promoting his his work and his courses, and I can do that because he's a he's a friend and uh, someone who I uh, respect. So uh, definitely check that out.
3: On mentorship, how does a new graduate or student get a mentor? Um, I feel like. In some ways you've been quite lucky in that a lot of your mentors have have developed just almost organically from the clubs that you've been in and I think a lot of that is probably testament to the environment that you've been in because you said about being in small physio teams where there's only a few of you how how does a student make that sort of first contact or connection to open up to someone to say you know I sort of value your work I'd like to be mentored by you kind of thing
2: yeah it's difficult yeah because like you say I've never I've never done that either in that respect um I think it's got a, I mean it's almost like the the world is especially with Zoom and online, you know, there's there's almost so much choice and there's only so many people you can connect with around the world at this moment in time, um, and, and that's, that's great. Um, at the same time, it's harder sometimes in that respect to to choose and, and to make meaningful deep connections with people where you're on a, a common journey. Um, uh, so. I understand that there is a challenge Uh, again, like you said, the association of chart physios and sports medicine is, uh, a good place to, to, to start. Um, and you know, by the nature of their clubhouse and the things that they run, you know, there's some informal types of mentorship and networking going on there. Um, uh, again, you know through the workplace is is key um i think um there's nothing wrong with you know if there's someone particular um that you would like to learn from and, and and learn off then i think uh if there's a way that you can offer something in return and i don't i don't mean just payment but you know if there is if there is research projects, if there is anything that, you know, they want you to assist you with. I know that, um, there are people that have helped run podcasts for, uh, various people and, and helped them with the editing and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people like Pacey before, you know, there's lots of people that have done that, but like you do now, you, 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 you get some degree of, of learning mentorship from, from going through this process. This is a massive CPD process for you guys, it's a massive CPD process for me, because I'm forced to reflect, you get to learn those nuggets and you, and you get to do that as often as you know, as time allows um, and start developing those relationships. Um, it doesn't mean anyone's, everyone's got to go out and start doing a, a podcast. Um, but I think um, you, i mean you reach out to people if you don't reach out to people then you know you've got no no idea if they're going to say yes or no if you reach out to people there's a 50 you know it's 50 50 then whether or not um you know um they have uh the willingness and the uh, the ability and the time um to create something um and, and 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 what like say what might be not the right time now for one clinician might be the right time you know in a few months' time or something like that, so I think um you know you you've gotta reach out to people um and and I think you know people that are you know are genuinely keen and interested um uh, and 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 I think. At some point, clinicians do feel like they, they want to give back a little bit to um, to people, you know, I, I, I couldn't see myself having more than one or two at a time, depending on what was expected. But, um, you know, I, I do enjoy the little bits that I do um, with some of the people I've done, uh, because um, otherwise you just see the world through just through your lens uh, and you won't learn. What the challenges are for new grads and and how the world is is changing in that respect now, um, you know uh, some of the conversations I've had with with new grads and they're explaining the differences um, between you know their experiences of working in the NHS and and my experience of working the NHS and, and and based off that information what they should do and so on. But you know without having that conversation and understanding what the difference I I, I can learn. A lot by what the differences are now in, in different parts of the uk and structures of departments and i wouldn't know that if i didn't so so, so you do learn it is a two-way thing it can be very mutualistic um uh, uh and i think um uh, yeah just just try and reach out to people really in that respect and and and, 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 and get involved with the um associations association of child physicians in sport or other associations that uh that, that are out there
1: uh, and if you are someone who's looking for for a mentor something that i i stole kind of from the uh the ACPSEM clubhouse uh, uh, talk on mentorship was um the CSP website um so they they've got a kind of mentorship section to their website and an ACPSEM is actually included on there so physios that do work in sport are also on there if you want to seek them out i've i've had a little look and the website's really good for Helping you to filter people by their um current and past experience, uh, as opposed, you know, looking for what you're uh, looking for and things. um So do check that out if you are looking for a mentor that might help you to pave a way in in the kind of the clouded mist of many mentors mm-hmm. that are out there to available to you. And these are people that have signed up to be a mentor, so they're prepared mm-hmm. to do it. It's less kind of hit and hope with with a particular person you might find that the person you were looking for to have as a mentor is actually on there already um and you can find out their past experience and what they are happy to help uh mentees with and what topics they're looking to to help mentees uh uh, yeah mentees develop um as part of that that package and process so so do check that out it might help you to um get a bit more clearer thought about a mentorship and, and, and who you think might be suitable for you. Uh, Lewis, have you got anything that you wanted to add before we, we crack on to the, the, the final three no. questions?
3: No, I think we've asked you enough, everything that, that we've asked this morning.
1: Perfect. So uh, we'll dive straight into it. So uh, three quick fire questions that we like to ask all our guests. So the first for you, Chris, is what would you say are the three most important behaviors or traits for a physiotherapist in your experience and why? Uh,
2: I think first of all, hard work. It's always been key to my success. Uh, I think working hard with the players, with the staff, uh, the coaching staff, swimming conditioning staff, um you know going that extra mile um you know with regards to setting up plans protocols um, staying up to date you know setting up good rehab systems and uh timetables uh, making time for the players and the staff yes it is uh you know it can be can be time consuming but i think very early on um you know some people sometimes can be uh judged Um, And I think, you know, if you're just sitting there in the corner on your phone or something like that, scrolling through social media, I I wouldn't like that if I saw that going on. I think that, you know, in those environments, especially if you're new to those environments, I think um, there's always something to be done. So be proactive and, and, and look to see where you can go, you know, you know, can you go and assist in the gym with the lifts? Can you go assist with the coaches, you know, whatever they might be, Um, you know, helping the kit man get the kit off the off the bus? So, you know, uh, diff- there's, there's lots of different things. You're, you know, it's, it's very different team sports. Um So hard work connection you know making sure you make good connections with the team with the athletes with the other staff you know show your commitment and your values uh, that you're a good person uh, and that you're a good fit for the team or environment i think you can you know you, you can help uh mentor physios and bring physios through with regards to the clinical diagnostic skills and update them in the treatment and management of various rehabilitation of various conditions but if they haven't got it's hard to you know change someone's sometimes mindset or motivations and and personality so you know you've got to be a good team player and a good person I think Um, and then keep learning critical thinking Um, you know we don't work to recipes or quick fixes Um, we need to you know find ways to develop our ability to critically think and stay open to experience and uh, clinical experience and the evidence, science, and uh, uh, and that in a multidisciplinary um, kind of fashion, learning from other professions, so that we can make good, good clinical decisions and particularly good um, return to performance, return to play decisions, encompassing clinical kind of psychosocial and ethical decision making in sport. I think, uh, it's, uh, we need to be working in a biopsychosocial context. So, uh, I think, um, those are my key, key three things.
3: What excites you the most about the future of physiotherapy?
2: Um, I think that, um, two things first is technology. I think technology, um, it's becoming more affordable and more available. Um, I mean, I've got, you know, small private clinic business, but now I've got my own handheld dynamometer that gives me data to my phone on, on muscle testing. Uh, and I bought that in the last, you know, year, year and a half, um, before that was you know, uh, two or three grand's worth of kit, um, you know, too expensive, uh, uh, now, things are a lot more available, and I've been offered all sorts recently various bits of kit and equipment you know, for you know, 30 40 pounds a month, 50 pounds a month. You know, systems the so things are a lot more uh, affordable, uh, and I think that's really interesting because I think we need to where we can where we've messed up in the past with physiotherapy is maybe not had enough objective good quality objective measures to our name so just keep an eye on the technology that's coming out and, and the affordability because um, it might be something that you, you might progressively have access to and i think you know it will potentially continue to get cheaper and more affordable in that respect um so keep an eye on like the vault health performance equipment and um various other companies that are bringing stuff out um and then the other thing is, um, yeah, I think with regards to rehabilitation, the big hot topic at the moment is is the use of isometrics. And I don't just mean for pain management, but um, uh, Alex Natara seems to be one of the main coaches, S&C coaches uh, involved in this area uh, and looking at the use of isometrics for tendon health and muscles, but also for performance um uh and 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 like you say like we just talked about Ben Ashworth and uh various people you know the use of isometrics is massive for them as well so nearly all experts in all areas of rehabilitation are, are using variations on different types of isometrics for not you know for for pain management but also for performance improvement and and the ability to use that uh, more frequently in the week during training weeks or prep for games uh, without it having such a energy cost on the body that traditional resistance training may have um so i think that's exciting um and also keep an eye on especially in rugby the the data that comes from instrumental uh instrumented uh uh gum shields uh so we can can track forces that are going um, through the head and through the neck and uh, you know we've been tracking GPS and running metrics for years but contact load has always been something which has been hard to measure and it's interesting to see what's coming out from that now um, so yeah those those are the, the main things that I'm excited about
3: and then the, the final question that we ask can be answered wherever you want is are you satisfied
2: uh yeah, I think um, it's an interesting question. Um, and actually, since the last time I spoke, I feel a little bit more satisfied than I did last time uh, because I've been a little bit more reflective towards the end of the year, December, January. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've worked, um, and I think there will be many physios that have done that, head physio in English Championship, English Premiership, in the URC Pro 14, and, and also been to a World Cup. So I mean, if that's my lot, then then I'm happy, I'm good. Uh, and I feel like I've, 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 I've been to a World Cup in Japan, and that was an amazing place to go, you know? Uh, uh, so yeah, I feel, feel very happy. But I still feel that there's a lot, um, I've got a lot more more potential not not that much of an old dog 43 and i still feel that um there's a lot of energy left to me yet so it would be nice to um to work at, at some you know big events again in the future um uh, and i had some opportunities um which for family and personal reasons i've had to turn down which may have involved going to the rugby world cup next year with another tier two team um so that's that's a little bit gutting but uh it's not the right time for me right now but i was very very appreciative and very grateful of 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 those people reaching out to me um but yeah so yes i I would say i would say yes but uh, i'm in a bit of a transition and um uh it's about now looking at at what motivates me now and i think the educational side of things uh motivates me and, and trying to Pass on some of that education. Run some, uh, run some taping courses, and I'm going to try and create some of my own online courses. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's good.
3: Well, okay. I'm sure you will be no short of opportunities. Gotta,
2: to, got to allow you guys to have your shots, and that's the next, uh, the next generation is coming through yeah. now, and they're they're infinitely uh, fitter, faster, and better looking than I am.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. All ready to wrap up, lads. Yep. So that's it for episode 22 of the podcast from Lewis, Brad, and I. I just wanted to say a massive thank you, Chris, uh, for joining us. I know this was um, second time lucky rec- with recording, but it's been great to hear your thoughts and experiences.
2: Uh <laughs> oh, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, it was, I think, I think we've we've nailed it two times in a row. And I do remember someone hitting record at the beginning this time. Um, but uh, yeah, guys, good luck uh, for 2023. hope it's a good year for you guys, a successful year and um, just keep working towards uh, you and everyone on, listen to the podcast, you know, start thinking about what you want to be involved in, start making some small goals. You know, what can you learn about the sports and, that side of things, uh, I, I started thinking about it as a student. So, um, you know, just, just small little things you can start working towards. I think that that, that keeps your motivation levels high if it, if there's some realism um, to, to to your future post post graduation with your degree. So uh, yeah, good luck with 2023, guys.
1: Cheers, Chris, and you too. Thank you very much for listening, and bye for now.